It's my desire to live for him. That's a good way to end that song. It's a good way to begin the day and the evening as well as tomorrow. Well, let's turn our Bibles. Turn over to the book of Luke, Luke chapter 12, Luke chapter 12, uh, verse 16. We're going to start there and we're going to read through verse 21. Luke chapter 12, verse 16, and through 21. In Luke chapter 12, uh, beginning in verse 16, we read, And he spake a parable unto them, saying, The ground of a certain rich man brought forth plentifully. And he thought within himself, saying, What shall I do, because I have no room where to bestow my fruits? And he said, This will I do. I will pull down my barns and build greater. And there will I bestow all my fruits and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, thou hast much goods laid up for many years. Take thine ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said unto him, Thou fool, this night thy soul shall be required of thee. Then who shall those things be which thou hast provided? Father, we come to you. We do ask that you'd speak to our hearts tonight, and may you help us, Father, to learn some fundamental principles that'll just be very simple, but very practical and helpful to each of us. We pray that you would bless those being baptized tonight. May you just meet their needs, and may they, Father, not be nervous. Lord, calm their hearts, and Lord, may you bless them tonight, and Lord, may you be with us tonight. May we be encouraged from the Word of God and from what will take place even this evening. We love you and we need you tonight. In Christ's name we pray, amen. In our passage, we are introduced to a man from, or at least from what all appearances would seem, would be extremely successful in the world's eyes. I mean, there's no doubt about that. I mean, he has money and he has possessions. If he lived today, he would likely end up on the cover of Forbes magazine. He might make a magazine's top 10 most wealthy men in America list. He'd be featured on an episode of The Lifestyles of the Rich and Famous, if they still do that. Still, as we will see, there's more to life than mere financial or material gain. And so I want to take a few moments tonight and learn a few valuable truths, simple truths, truths that maybe you already have heard. It's amazing, you know, and it's kind of interesting as a pastor when you stand and you preach to people that have been in church for years and years and years, you're really deceiving yourself if you think you're going to share anything that's really that awfully new. Solomon said there's nothing new under the sun. However, what I have found in the Christian life and what I have found in life in general and in sports or any other activity I've ever done is that we need to continue to practice the fundamentals. And if there is one need, it is to literally become efficient at the simple, to do the simple well, as we said just 
a few years ago. I note the passage, and I want to consider just a couple of things in it, and then I want to make some application, or then I want to, if you will, address some fundamental truths that we learn from it. First of all, we note the common response. In verses 17 through 19, it says, And he thought within himself, saying, What shall I do, because I have no room where to bestow my fruits? And he said, This will I do, I'll pull down my barns and build greater. There will I bestow all my fruits and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, thou hast much goods laid up for many years. Take thine ease, eat, drink, and be merry. First of all, we note he accumulated much wealth. He accumulated much wealth. There's no doubt as we look at the passage right off the bat that he's telling us, listen, I don't even have room to store all my money. I don't have room enough to store all my material things. I mean, I don't know about you, but that seems to be a common response today in America. It seems to me that even as believers, we are so quick to want to accumulate things. We have homes and houses that we have built or that we have purchased, and the truth is it doesn't take very long before they're filled up, and we need something bigger. It's not necessarily an addition to the family that's necessary. It's not really just maybe quick tuplets that came along or, or, or triplets or even twins. No, it's just that, well, we have so much stuff. Now, we don't have any money. We'll tell people we're broke, but we have all kinds of material things. This man accumulated much wealth. And biblically and scripturally, he was obviously much more wealthy than anybody in this room. But also I note something else. He attributed his success to himself. Not only did he accumulate much wealth, but he attributed, attributed his success or that accumulation of wealth to himself. Again, in our passage, he makes note, he says, I th he said he thought within himself saying, what shall I do because I have no room where to bestow my fruits? And he said, this will I do. I will pull down my barns and build greater and there will I bestow all my fruits and my goods. And he goes on to say, I'll say to my soul, soul, thou hast much goods laid up for many years. He came to the conclusion somehow he responded, I should say, to that wealth, really. He, he responded by saying, listen, look what I have accumulated. Look what I have earned. Look what I have gained. And, you know, there's an element where if you're lazy and you do nothing, you will never own anything, you'll never have anything. You will have wants and desires, but those desires and wants will not be fulfilled. I understand that. But as a believer, we should be schooled enough in the Word of God to understand that there is nothing that we own or that we possess that isn't a direct result of the God of heaven that gave it to us. This man had a common response, however, a response like the world often responds. Not only do they accumulate much wealth, believing that that is exactly what the goal in life is, but then they respond by attributing their success to themselves. I pulled myself up by my bootstraps. I did this, and I did that, and I worked hard, and I did this. 
It's always me, me, I, I. Not only that, but we note he determined to finally take his ease. After working hard his whole life, after spending hour upon hour, I guarantee you this man did not work 40 hours a week. He did not accumulate that wealth by simply taking it easy, or he would not have said, in the end, now it's time to take my ease. Obviously, he's been working extremely hard. He's given his life to his business, and I mean, he may have had many servants. He may have had others that have worked in his fields, but the fact was is that as a boss, as a leader, as a, a, uh, a owner of a business, he was a working fool. And he came to the place where he finally said, you know what? It's time for me. There's nothing really wrong to some degree about that or with that. But that is, again, a common response in our world. You know, years ago, people retired after working 30, 40, 50 years. And they didn't retire until they were probably in their 60s and sometimes later. People retire now in their 40s. They retire now in their early 50s. And let me tell you something. If you can afford to do that, that's wonderful. But you better be very careful what you do with your time after that. This idea that the believer's job, we will work hard. And in 30 years, I started working at this company at 18. And by the time I'm 48, I can retire. I've saved up money and I've done all this. And man, now I can take my ease. My friend, if you're a child of God, you should never take ease. You're in a battle and you're a soldier for Jesus Christ. My friend, you may not punch in every morning, but you ought to be punching in on God's clock and you ought to be serving the Lord like you never served the Lord before if you're retired and you're that young. We'll end up dying, getting to the judgment seat of Christ and spending 20 or 30 years retired and accomplishing nothing for God. What a pitiful existence that is. I woke up every morning of my life after I retired and I was able to flick on the television and watch the news and eat me a, a sandwich and take it easy and go for a walk and go play golf and do anything I wanted to whenever I wanted to. Where you at on soul winning? I don't know. That's different. That's, I don't do that stuff. Hey, where you at on those Wednesday night services? Well, you know, Wednesday nights is kind of my time with the fam. Well, what are you doing? On, oh, well, you know what? I don't get too plugged in certain things. I'm retired, you know. Teaching would mean I'd have to actually put out. I'd have to study. I'd have to work. This is the mentality that we've run into in our world. We feel like it's time to take our ease way too soon. And I'm not scolding anybody because I don't know of anybody here that's retired in their early 40s or, or mid 40s or late 40s or even early 50s. I think my dad did in his late 50s. But can I say this? And I'm not trying to toot his horn. There's never been a more active church member since he retired than him. I knew Mr. Harris. He retired, but he was always working at the church. I knew Mr. Wilson. He was retired. He was always working at the church. I know some of these men that retired, and some of them weren't as young as others when they retired, but they said, you know what? I'm still going to work for Jesus. I'm not taking my ease in that area. I may not punch in, but I'm going to be working for Jesus Christ, for the Lord and his kingdom. Again, it's the common response, though. 
accumulate much wealth and then attribute it to ourselves. And then when we get what we feel to be enough, we just take it easy and the common response. But now we see the catastrophe revealed. You say, what do you mean the catastrophe revealed? Look at verse 20. Because see, right now we're looking at it from the man's point of view. But now we're going to see this from God's point of view. Look what God says about all this mess. First of all, his title. Look at what he's called now in verse 20. The Bible says, but God said unto him, thou fool. Wow. Wait a second, preacher. It's common. It's normal in our day to accumulate wealth. It's normal to, to, to take life by the horn and, and, and to pull yourself up by your own bootstraps. It's important that you are successful in life and, and you accumulate all that wealth and then you can finally retire early and take it easy. God speaks to him and says, thou fool. I don't know about you, but that's, that's pretty big time for God to speak like that and to say that to you. That's not one of those things you want to hear too often from God. In Psalm chapter 14, verse 1, the Bible says, The fool has said in his heart, There is no God. They're corrupt. They have done abominable works. There's none that doeth good. And someone says, Well, yeah, that makes sense to me. Somebody doesn't believe in God. God calls them a fool. That's right. Well, let me ask you something. We may not be fools in the sense that we don't believe in God, but do we act like fools sometimes? Are our priorities as mixed up as the world sometimes? I mean, that, that's a concern, isn't it? I mean, shouldn't we as believers be very careful not to conform to the world and not to think like the world and not to prioritize our lives according to the world? And what they say is a priority? Of course. We see his title. What a catastrophe that was. Here he is, believing that he has accomplished something, that he has truly arrived somewhere, that he deserves some kind of accolade, some kind of applause, and yet God stops, starts by saying, thou fool. Notice what he goes on to say next. Not only does he point out his title, but he directs his attention to his time. He says, but God said unto him, thou fool, this night... This night thy soul shall be required of thee. This night. Can you imagine how, how discouraging would that be to literally spend your first 50 years in life striving to attain to a goal, trying to accumulate wealth. You have spent all your effort and all your energy to arrive at a 401k that is just packed with money so that you can ultimately draw 4% of it every year and live comfortably with your social security only to die the next day. We have a party for you. You finally retired. A retirement party. We give you a beautiful gold watch. And God points to it and goes, by the way, you can watch it. You can literally watch the watch for 24 hours. And then you're going home. How sad is that? You know, we've, we've known people like that. I mean, it's pitiful. Now, here's the most thing. That, here's what's really pitiful. 
when they've spent their whole life simply to get to that point and then they can't even enjoy it. I hope that if you or I retire and the next day we die, we won't be so disappointed because we really didn't live for retirement. We lived for eternity. Hebrews 9.27 says, And as it is appointed unto men once to die, but after this, the judgment, it's appointed unto men once to die. This man, his appointment was a day after he felt it was time to retire. That's rough. Can you imagine this man working like a dog from morning to night all those years Believing that it's now his time to rest, only to open his eyes in hell and be tormented for eternity, where there's never rest. Note his title, his time. We see his treasure in verse 20. What a catastrophe this is. But God said unto him, Thou fool, this night thy soul shall be required of thee. Then who shall those things be which thou hast provided? You notice he says, has provided. You think that's a weird way to say it. Well, he's not going to get to use them. Obviously, he's provided it for someone else. He never realized that at the time, but that's exactly what he's doing. Look, if you would, in Ecclesiastes chapter 2, verse 18. When our priorities get mixed up, we always lose. We either lose in this life or we lose in the next, but usually we lose in both. Notice Ecclesiastes 2, verse 18. This age-old issue, once again, has been, it's brought up here in Ecclesiastes, and we're reminded of it again in Luke. Notice what he says in chapter 2, verse 18. Yea, I hated all my labor which I had taken under the sun. Why? Why in the world would you hate all your labor? Why would you hate accumulating the wealth? Why would you have hated accomplishing something with your life? And he goes, because I should leave it unto the man that should, shall be after me. And who knoweth whether he shall be a wise man or a fool? Yet shall he have rule over all my labor wherein I have labored and wherein I have showed myself wise under the sun. This also is vanity. We stop there for a moment. Think with me again. Here you are, you, you and I, and, and I've watched this happen. And, and I'll be honest, my, my parents have this wonderful retirement strategy. You know what it is? Spend it all. <laughs> and this retirement strategy, spend it all. Well, what about poor little old me, Daddy. Well, I raised you to make your own living. Go do it. And I have given you an inheritance already. An inheritance of character and an inheritance of spiritual legacy. This idea that you owe your children something to spend when you die, so to speak, when you, well, you know what? I'm going to give all my money to my kids. You ought to give at least half of it to the church. You ought to give half of it at least, minimum, so that you can 
continue your legacy, spiritually speaking, and it doesn't just end with your children who will probably spend it much quicker than you ever would have. You work like a dog to accumulate it, they'll spend it like it was the lottery. Big screen TV, it'll be just like a stimulus check. Putting a new addition on, what are we going to name it? Well, certainly not after the parents. <laughs> I'm being pretty critical. <laughs> See, I got nothing coming, so I can't, I don't have to worry about any of this. See, I got nothing coming. The truth is both my in-laws and my parents virtually are broke. So there you go. I got nothing to lose, you know what I mean? <laughs> so if I'm going to be miserable, I want you to be miserable too. <laughs> he goes on in verse 20 to say, Therefore I went about to cause my heart to despair of all the labor which I took under the sun. Verse 21, For there is a man whose labor is in wisdom and in knowledge and in equity, yet to a man that hath not labored therein shall he leave it for his portion. This also is vanity and a great evil. So again, according to Ecclesiastes, we can work and toil our whole lives only to leave it to someone else who may or may not be worthy of it. In Ecclesiastes chapter 5, verse 15, he actually goes on to say, and he came forth of his mother's womb, naked shall he return to go as he came, and shall take nothing of his labor, which he may carry away in his hand. And this also is a sore evil, that in all points as he came, so shall he go, and what Prophet hath he that hath labored for the wind. Wow. I don't know about you, but that's powerful stuff. If you are giving your life to accumulating wealth, my friend, you are missing the boat. If you somehow think, well, I'm doing this for my family, you aren't doing it for your family. We'll talk in a minute about why you're really doing it. But the fact is, is that the truth, and, and listen, I know somebody right there just bowed up. I could feel it in the crowd. I already felt it. Hold on, we're going to get to it. You're no different than this man if that's what you're trying to convince yourself of. Well, I'm working 16 hours a day. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. I'm going to make tons of money. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. I'm going to do all this stuff. And you're, if you're neglecting God in the process, my friend, you're no different than this man right here. And I'm going to show you there's reasons why he did what he did. Just because we call ourselves Christians doesn't mean our reasoning's any different usually. I mean, unless I see that in the offering plate, unless I see that in your, your attitude and of offering yourself, unless I see a surrendered, submitted, uh, committed life to Jesus Christ, my friend, don't, don't try to sell me that everything you're doing is for your family and for everyone else. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So no matter how rich, no matter how successful a person you become, can I tell you, when you die, you will go into eternity naked. You will carry nothing with you at all, the Bible says. You won't take it with you. You'll leave it to somebody. The conclusion reached. We noted the common response. We note the catastrophe revealed. Notice the conclusion reached in verse 21. He says, so is he that layeth up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. He says, you know what? This is common. This is the common response of those who do not lay up treasure 
or as he puts it in the passage here, those who, I got to find the verse now, I just lost it. Those who lay not up treasure, or that are not rich toward God, that lay up treasure for themselves. He says, listen, first of all, that's a common response. He goes on to say, you know what? Not only that, but it's a, it's a, it's a catastrophe. And he goes, and here's the real bottom line, and it's important that we understand it, that it is nothing but folly to accumulate temporal wealth instead of investing in eternal treasure. It's totally folly. He said that it is total folly. Now again, I believe it's important to point this out too though. There's not one thing that I can see in the passage that points to God being dissatisfied with the money. It's not that the guy has made money. That is not the problem here. It's not that he's accumulated much wealth. That's not the issue again. It's the purpose for which the man accumulated it and the, the way he planned to use it. See, he accumulated it for selfish reasons. This had nothing to do with God. This was about him. You say, what do you mean? Well, here we get to the fun part. I told you this. First of all, he did it for personal affirmation. This man wanted to feel good about himself. He wanted to believe himself to be somebody. It's funny how men are. We want to make a good living, and we'll, we'll, we'll use our family as the excuse, but the bottom line is, is that we want to feel like we're a big man. We want to feel like we're a good, unlike certain people that don't provide for their families. Look at me. I provide really good for my family. They have things no one else has. If you were a real man, you'd work extra. You'd work hard like me. You would make more money like I do. You'd put more money away like I do because I'm somebody. It's about me. Well, I'm doing this for the fam. Really? Let's talk to your wife and ask her if she'd like to see you home a little bit more. Let's talk to your kids who are going off into the world because you don't spend any time training them up in the things of Christ. Well, I ain't got time for something. I got to provide for my family. Oh boy, you missed that whole boat too because that is not what God says. You are not responsible to provide for your family. You are only responsible to go to work. So what you're telling me is, is that God doesn't provide for your family. You do. You missed it, friend. You're just like this man. See, it was personal affirmation. Why, what's another reason? His pride. Again, in verse 17 and 18, and he thought within himself, saying, what shall I do? You see, I, everywhere you turn here, me and I and everything else, this, it, what, my soul, soul, thou hast much goods laid up for many years. Wow, you've done such a marvelous job. He's proud. Hey, listen, I, I, listen I, I'm going to be honest with you. You young men up here, if you are not good workers, you ought to be ashamed of yourself. You ought to take a personal pride in being a hard worker. When everybody else wants to give up and quit, you ought to be working. When everybody else says it's time to eat a stinking donut, you keep working. Well, we're at a church fellowship and everybody else is, and nobody else picking up chairs. I'm not picking up any chairs. I know they need done, but if nobody else is going to do it, I ain't doing it. Oh, yeah, you're just as lazy as they are then. And you're even worse because you know better. You say, why are you getting so upset? 
I, I don't know. I just think it's time for a little culture shift. In the house of God, you know? I mean, at least, okay, maybe the world's going a certain direction, but why should the church and why should the children in the church? This personal affirmation, this pride that seems to ooze out of this man. Finally, to achieve a sense of security, safety, or peace apart from God. Really, who do we, who's this man trusting with his future? He's trusting himself. He's trusting in the wealth that he's accumulated. He says, I'm safe now. I'm secure now. I've got everything I need to make it, and I don't have to be concerned or worried. You know why the world's falling apart today? Because they don't know what tomorrow holds. Even Christians are running around, and you say, you bite your nails, preacher. Yeah, but guess what? I've been doing that long before this. Has nothing to do with that. I just worry 24-7 my whole life. No, I'm teasing. But honestly, I mean, look at the world. What's wrong? I've got all this money in my, my, my retirement fund, but now I'm not even sure if it'll even be there. <laughs> Who are we trusting? You know what? Maybe God doesn't want you or I to have a bunch of money when we retire. Do you ever think that maybe he wants us to suffer? Do you ever think that maybe, just maybe, that the world does not see Jesus through a successful Christian, but through a suffering one? I'm not so sure. I'm not saying I'm wishing that on you or me or anybody else. I want to have plenty of money when I retire. I wish I had millions of dollars. And please take up a big offering and give it to me. That's great. But the truth is, I probably won't. You know what? Well, matter of fact, I know I won't, but <laughs> probably nothing about it. But you know what? I could worry about it, and I could sit there and say, you know what? I'm going to make it my goal to retire by the time I'm such and such an age, and that's my whole goal in life. We've missed it. We're just like our rich man here. Because really what we're saying is I want security in my life. I want safety in my life. I want to know. You say, it's for the family. You don't even know if you'll have a spouse by the time you retire. You don't know what tomorrow holds, and neither do I. I may not even reach retirement. And maybe you won't either. And yet we live for something that may never happen. When we have a Jesus that's alive today and we can live for him. It's my desire to live for him, the song says. Now, we spent a lot of time, and we noted those three aspects of the passage. The common response, the catastrophe revealed, the conclusion reached. The conclusion, again, reached. So is he that layeth up treasure for himself, is not rich toward God. When we start laying up treasure for ourselves, it's not going to end good usually. We need to be laying up treasure for God, for eternity, living our lives for tomorrow, not in this life but the next. Now, what are some fundamental truths we learn? First of all, God is the provider. God is the provider. That's what we learn. 
See, what we have is really a result of God and not our own selves. And that is evident from verse 16. In chapter 12, verse 16, he speaks right off the bat and says, And he spake a parable unto them, saying, Watch this, it's very important. The ground of a certain rich man brought forth plentifully. You, did, you, did you just see what I saw there? The ground of a certain rich man. Wait a second. I thought he was the one that was working the field. I thought his servants were the ones out in the field. I thought he was the one that organized the labor and did Yeah, I know, but guess what? It was the ground that brought forth the plenty. And can I tell you whose the ground is? It's God's. The earth is the Lord and the fullness thereof. See, God is really the provider. It wasn't the rich man that brought forth plentifully. It was the ground that brought forth plentifully. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 7 the Bible says, so then neither is he that planteth anything, neither he that watereth, but God that giveth the increase. Do you understand, in that particular case, Paul the Apostle is talking about souls and the ministry and success of changed lives. And he's saying, listen, you can go ahead and get on Apollo's side, you can get on my side, but the truth is, is that we're just laborers in the field because when it's all said and done, one waters and one plants, but it's God that gives the increase. And that's true in your life too. God is the provider. Every good gift and every perfect gift cometh, is, is from above and cometh down from the Father of lights with whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. See, we're mere stewards. Moreover, it's required in stewards that a man be found faithful. God is the provider. He's the provider. You need to remember that. I need to remember that. No, I'm the provider in my house. <laughs> don't, 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 don't go there. Well, I know we like to, and listen, I'm not saying it's not practical. I, listen, if a guy doesn't get up and go to work, his family's going to be in real trouble. I get all that. But his health could be taken away like that tomorrow. And you know who you'd have to depend on? God. It doesn't do any good to depend on a person. You need to depend on God. It's him. He's really the provider. I have watched people succeed even though they've lost everything that they thought they had to have. A wife loses a husband as a provider, maybe not in death even, but he's no longer able to provide like he used to, and God somehow, way, meets needs. How's that? It's because it's God all along. God's the provider. Number two, gain is not the priority. This is what we learn here. As we look at this man and we look at his life, gain is not the priority. In Proverbs 23, turn there, would you please? Proverbs 23, verses four through five. I 
Again, just simple thoughts and we're done. We really only have a few more moments. But God is not the provider and gain is not the priority. <clears throat> Proverbs 23, verses 4 through 5. The Bible says in Proverbs 23, 4 and 5, labor not to be rich. Now listen, I'm, I'm all for getting as much as you can. As long as you don't make that your goal in life. Well, I mean, it's not money that's the root of all evil. It's the love of money. Man, I, again, I am all for somebody. You start a business, be a millionaire. Why not? I don't have no problem with that. But if you make that your life goal, then you have violated a scripture, labor not to be rich. It's not the money that's the problem. It's the attitude. It's the focus. It's the priority that's mixed up. That's all. I wish a few of you'd get on the ball and become millionaires. I'd like it if a few of you maybe got involved. One of you get so rich that you own a car dealership and another one, a golf course. <laughs> it's okay with me, as long as your attitude's right <laughs> and that you're very loving of your pastor. <laughs> Gain is not the priority, though. Notice Proverbs 24 again. Labor not to be rich. Cease from thine own wisdom. Wilt thou set thine eye upon that which is not? For riches certainly make themselves wings. They fly away as an eagle toward heaven. <laughs> That's a pretty clear picture, isn't it? In John chapter 6, verse 27, the Bible says, Labor not for the meat which perisheth, but for that meat which endureth unto everlasting life, which the Son of Man shall give unto you. For him hath God the Father sealed. Now turn, if you would, to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6. Let's look or begin reading in verse 19. I'm going to read a number of verses, but notice the theme throughout. Matthew chapter 6, verse 19. You know, it's interesting, you know, a lot of times people that have money get a bad rap. You know, like... People that have money, everybody acts like, well, all they care about is money. You know what I found? People that don't have it care about it a lot too. Usually more than those that have it. I don't know what it is. They act like, if I only had a money, if I only had some, I would be, <laughs> you know what I'm talking about. You would think, you know, it's like, well, you just don't have it, you don't miss it. No, money's not like that, is it? Possessions aren't like that, are they? And you know what? Facebook doesn't help. And all these social media sites don't help because they keep showing us all the things everyone else has. And then we go, I want it. You walk into a store years ago, and what they do, they have certain things set up in the aisles. Or they send an advertisement out with a picture of a new chainsaw. Oh, you got a chainsaw, but you don't have that one. You know what I'm talking about. You know where I'm going. 
It's like they, they, they made you feel like there was a need in your life even though there wasn't a need. Boy, tell me that social media hasn't created that in our culture. Notice what the Bible says here in Matthew 6, verse 19. It says, Lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth, where moth and rust doth corrupt, and where thieves break through and steal. But lay up for yourself. Hey, you know what? Isn't this funny? How many of you have ever bought a brand new car? I mean, you owned a, you actually bought a brand new car. Uh, or, or you bought a car that was only like two years old, and it was like mint, baby. It was beautiful. Anybody ever do that? I'm holding my hand up. I did. Okay, put them down. If you're like me, everywhere you go where there are other cars, I just keep going, I hope nobody hits this car. I mean, I'm pulling into the, the don't even go to Walmart and t- say that. But anyway, you pull into the Walmart and you go to the back of the parking lot and you're like, I ain't going to let nobody get near this baby. This thing is mint. It's sweet. Sure enough, you come out and there's two cars beside you. And they are like, you got to kind of, to get in. You know what I mean? And you're like, come on, man, there's nobody out here. And you pull over here beside me. You know how that goes. But, but you didn't care about the other car. You used to just pull right on it. And now you're over here. You got something, and now you don't want to lose it. It's crazy, isn't it? This is funny. Look at what it says here. So lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth where moth and rust does corrupt and where thieves break through and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt, where thieves do not break through nor steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. The light of the body is the eye. If therefore thine eye be single, thy whole body shall be full of light. But if thine eye be evil, thy whole body shall be full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in thee be darkness, how great is that darkness? No man can serve two masters, for, there, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Therefore, I say unto you, take no thought for your life, what ye shall eat or what ye shall drink, nor yet for your body, what ye shall put on. I wonder, who's saying that? That can't be Jesus talking. Are you kidding me? Jesus is telling the people now, take no thought for your life, what ye shall eat or what ye shall drink. What? Or what ye shall drink, or, or, or nor yet for your body, what ye shall put on. Is not the life more than meat and the body than raiment? Behold the fowls of the air, for they sow not, neither do they reap, nor gather unto their barns, yet your heavenly Father feedeth them. Are ye not much better than they? Which of you by taking thought can add one cubit unto his stature? And why take ye thought for raiment? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow, they toil not, neither do they spin. Did I say unto you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these? Wherefore, if God so clothed the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is cast into the oven, shall, not, shall he not much more clothe you, O ye of little faith? Therefore, take no thought, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or wherewithal shall we be clothed? For after all these things do the Gentiles 
see. Now hold on, I want you to think about that phrase for a moment. The Bible says there's only three groups of people in the entire earth. There's the Jew, the Gentile, and the church, according to 1 Thessalonians. There's the Jew, the Gentile, and the church. You, becoming a child of God, are part of the church. You are no longer categorized as a Gentile. Gentiles are lost. Gentiles are in sin. They're a mess. And we talked about the Jew the other day. As a nation, there's a veil over their eyes as well. Three groups of people. You part of the church? Why do we go around worrying about things that the Gentiles worry about then? We have a heavenly father to take care of those things. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Isn't that interesting in the context of that passage? It's really about money and possessions. That's the context of that statement. You don't have to worry about those things. You put him first. You put his work first. You put his kingdom first. And he says the rest of it will fall into place. Therefore, he says in verse 34, take no thought for the morrow, for the morrow shall take thought of the things of itself, sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. God's the provider. Gain is not the priority. And finally, number three, godliness is the prize. In 1 Timothy chapter 6, if you're able to turn, turn there, please. 1 Timothy chapter 6. And we're going to read in verse 5 and 6. Notice in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 5 and 6, it says, Perverse disputings of men of corrupt minds and destitute of the truth. Supposing that gain is godliness. From such withdrawal thyself. But godliness with contentment is great gain. Some suppose that gain is godliness. That's a problem. They're destitute of the truth. And he says you shouldn't even flaunt with that or, or, or shouldn't, shouldn't fellowship with that. He goes on, but godliness with contentment is great gain. Again, godliness is the prize. Not great gain. Great gain is contentment. And godliness and contentment are the great gain that we seek. Colossians 3.2, set your affection on things above, not on things on the earth. 1 Timothy 6, 17 through 19, charge them that are rich in the world that they be not high-minded nor trust in uncertain riches. We know a little bit about uncertain times, don't we? These are uncertain riches. Do not trust in them, he says. But in the living God, who giveth us richly all things to enjoy, that they do good, that they be rich in good works, 
ready to distribute, willing to communicate, laying up in store for themselves a good foundation against the time to come that they may lay hold on eternal life. That lays it out pretty good, doesn't it? The rich man went real wrong. He really made a mistake, messed up bad. He failed to remember where and by whom the riches came. And he forgot that it was never about him. It was always about God and about his kingdom. Proverbs 13, 15 says, Good understanding giveth favor, but the way of the transgressor is hard. In Psalm 32, 10, even this morning as I was reading, I read, Many sorrows shall be to the wicked, but he that trusteth in the Lord, mercy shall compass him about. Many sorrows shall be to the wicked. Godliness is the prize. It's not, not possessions. That's not the prize. Not ease as a result of accumulating wealth. That's not the prize. The prize is godliness. Godliness with contentment is great gain. So we learn that God is the provider, gain is the priority, and godliness is the prize. Our culture and our society, as we close, is all about this and everything else around us. It's always about material things and finances. The world runs on money. Don't think that COVID-19 wasn't all about money. You, you just, <laughs> it's, it's unbelievable. Don't think for a minute that it doesn't always have something to do with every decision that's made in government, every decision that's made, sadly enough, in most homes. Years ago, I made a commitment to myself. I would never let money make my decisions for me. I never let money make my decisions for me. That has been a principle I've lived my life by. And I follow that principle into the church house. And then never let money make my decisions. See, I would never leave this church because somebody offered me a greater salary. Never. Because I don't let money make my decisions for me. Do you understand where we're going with this? Don't let money rule you. You rule your money, and you use it for the glory of God. Amen. That's all. And if you'll do that, you'll be all right. And you know, one day you'll be able to look God in the eye, so to speak, and know that you were honest with it, the finances that is, and that you honestly did your best to please him with them. That, that'll be worth it then. Don't waste your time trying to accumulate wealth so that you can be secure without God or feel good about yourself. You work hard and you give God the glory for everything he entrusts you with. Father, we come to you. We thank you again for all you've done for us and 